funnily enough, the person that was a network engineer or a data center engineer or an admin, things of that nature, we're computer people. We tried to solve the computer problem in the same way. And cyber for me is a risk management function and fundamentally needs to be thought around in different terms than it's a computer problem. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Andrew Scully, I've been really excited to get you on the show because we do sit on the same board and I'm always very curious around a lot of the things that you, you sort of say in our meetings because it really sparks a lot of my, again, curiosity around security but also processes and policies so i'm really keen today to dive into your thoughts learn a little bit more about your experience because i know that you've had quite the journey but before we dive into the more specifics of what you do day to day talk us through how you sort of started and what are you doing now yeah first of all thanks for having me uh on on the podcast huge fan so and yeah look it's a lot of fun sitting on on our little board and diving into things um but look my my journey i was really really lucky uh with my journey i had the opportunity when i was uh, still a uniformed australian air force member to to get in on the ground floor of uh the cyber journey that, that the air force was on at the time and it's continuing on at the moment and so I started with a technical background. So I made an application to, to join uh, one of the areas in the Air Force and was successful. Uh, and that journey with the Air Force really gave me a, a great uh, underpinning for you know, all of the knowledge and expertise and kind of the different areas that play into a security, uh, cybersecurity program. So everything from uh, working as a SOC analyst and an incident responder to uh, leading engineering teams and building capability to writing doctrine and strategy uh, there's a, just a myriad of various different things that we had to dive into and be very diverse with with gaining experience in all of those areas because we use that uh, ultimately to, to form up uh, what would now stand to be most of what the uh, Air Force's cyber capability stand, uh, is today. So really, really fun uh, journey. Uh, I was really lucky with that. Did you notice a big difference sort of transitioning from the military into sort of what you're doing now in terms of even how advanced it sort of is in the military from a security point of view uh, to what you're sort of doing today? Did you see a lot of differences or? Yeah, look, it's, it was a really big eye-opener uh, for me. I guess I was, I was lucky enough to go and see and do a whole bunch of things uh, in, in that space with, with the military, and it was really, really uh, valuable, and, and that underpinning has served me really well in a number of, in a number of ways. But I guess when I jumped out and, and started to dive into the commercial space and interestingly went from uh, a military background into doing, a, of all things, a pre-sales engineering role for a security vendor. So at the time, it was a company called Solera, uh, which was later acquired by uh, Bluecoat. So what was really interesting is then diving, with all my knowledge on the military side, to the commercial space, it was the same problem in terms of trying to achieve outcomes for the organisation but how we went about achieving it was, was completely different. And the pressures uh, from the organization were completely different. So it really forced me to evaluate everything I'd come to learn as a foundational body of knowledge and go and say, well, that's great. And that worked for that organization, but it may not necessarily work for a bank or for oil and gas or for manufacturing or for the tech sector. 
every one of these organizations has different different uh, pressures, different focuses, different um, things they want to achieve, and we need to take that into account when we when we try to apply that in our in our security program. So it was an eye-opening but really really fun process to go through, uh, just because it really started to change my way of thinking about cyber and how we apply it. And so when you say how we went about achieving the outcome when you sort of moved into the commercial space, is it because you have come from more of a militant background and standard operating procedures in the military is something that they stand by, uh, it, but it's fundamentally different when you're working for, like, say, a large enterprise, for example, that they may have some SOPs, but a lot of the time it's sort of fend for yourself and figure it out. Yeah, look, I think there's that element to it, absolutely, uh, in terms of maybe for some organisations being a little bit less mature in terms of documenting everything. But I guess I, just specifically on that point, um, I've seen standard operating procedures and workbooks, or sorry, playbooks, those types of things to be a great enabler, mm. honestly, but for, for more junior uh, operators, so junior engineers, junior SOC analysts, things of that, people of that nature, it's great for, for them. But honestly, the, the further you go up the uh, the experience levels, I mean, your tier two, tier three, and then into your really senior incident responders, you really use those as a guide and you don't follow them line by line by line. And in all honesty, every incident's different. Uh, every uh, technology we're building is, is different. So at that point, it becomes interpreting of all of those processes, procedures into guidelines to then take your experience, layer it over the top, and then achieve the outcome. So I guess there was a difference in terms of, that element of it um i guess it was also then realizing that what we were trying to achieve in a military perspective you know sometimes for example availability is more important than integrity uh, and there's a number of different ways we you know kind of rotate that cia uh, triad around to, to get what we're trying to achieve um but in the commercial space um, you have different pressures. Um, you know, for example, you take a number of organisations that derive uh, revenue out of, say, web platforms or different IT systems, which are you know, banks for trading platforms, things like that. Um, and having one of those out for or unavailable for an hour or two hours or three hours or a day is just not acceptable. The business mm. just won't allow it to happen. Um, but whereas, for example, potentially in, in times of yeah, peacetime and things like that, we, in the military perspective, we might be able to go and say, look, let's just shut down that area for a couple of days while we go through and do an exercise or fix something up or whatever it happens to be. And everyone pretty much goes, yep, that's fine. Uh, and off we go. So just different drivers um, for different outcome, for different organizations. And I guess most importantly for me, it was then realizing that that was a thing and then rolling that into my my psyche, into my kit bag when I then approached new organisations and said, well, what's important to you guys? And what is important to, to those guys? <laughs> I guess, yeah, I mean, look, that really is the question, right? And and this this is the bit that was a really, it's something that I've really held dear. And it's, I guess, the reason I hold this concept of asking the questions of an organisation and, and why I embrace it so much and, is that every organization is different. Um, and it really, for me, fell, if it's fallen to me to realize that I think in the cyberspace, as practitioners, we do lack a lot of that business acumen, or even just the fundamental knowledge and understanding that businesses are different. We can't just apply uniformly things like uh, compliance framework uh, to, to every single different organization, expect them to be happy. Um, we can't necessarily, if we don't focus on 
uh, business outcomes and the things that can uh, really do organizations harm. We're not gonna get the business buy-in because we haven't aligned correctly to organizations. It really is an art form of uh, mm. trying to tease out that information, to quantify it, stack rank it, to figure out what's most important, and then play it back to the uh, to the organizations to really get their buy-in and, and see whether we've hit the mark or not. And I think there's a lot of art to that. I think you and I have discussed this before, perhaps, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks or months ago. It's around, from memory, we were talking that security practices, some of them don't even know the business that they're supporting and protecting on how they make money or how they operate. Would you say because there's a, a lack of knowledge or perhaps even a naivety on, on that front from a business acumen point of view that a lot of, I guess, the development of designing potentially a security program is lost then because you need that's quite bespoke to an organization. And like you were saying, that you can't just apply like a compliance framework necessarily. like you, Well, you can as a guiding light, but it may not give you sort of a, a deep... Um, uh, understanding of the organization from a security point of view as well. Yeah. And look, I, I often roll my brain back to, well, how did we get to this point? And, and I guess I look at it also and think, well, cybersecurity is very much still in its infancy. Um, you know, we're kind of 20 years into you know, cybersecurity being a thing, and we're still growing and evolving uh, the profession, the vocation, and all the tools that need to go into our kit bag to achieve the outcomes that we need to. Um, and so often I've, I roll my head back to, to understanding where we came from. And fundamentally, you know, way back in the day, there was a computer problem and then there was a, uh, a computer issue that we had to deal with. So if you read the Cuckoo's Egg and books like that, which are just brilliant, kind of talks about some of the early cyber intrusions and how they were, they were, they were analyzed and how they worked through it. Um, but it was the computer problem that was pointed towards the computer issue. And funnily enough, the person that was a network engineer or a data center engineer or an admin, things of that nature, we're computer people. We tried to solve the computer problem in the same way. And cyber for me is a risk management function and fundamentally needs to be thought around in different terms than it's a computer problem. Because there are so many things that are not necessarily technology driven, which actually allow us to manage cyber risk. So impact and uh, and duration of incidents, things of that nature. Some of it's process driven, some of it's things like cyber insurance. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other non-technology things that go into managing cyber risk. So I kind of feel that we're, we're getting to the point now where we're very much transitioning away from it's a computer problem, so we'll get the computer people to fix it. And we are rolling into a new generation of cybersecurity practitioners coming through the ranks and very much starting to filter into senior positions now to think about this a little bit differently. Um, and coming back to your point around, well, what is important? Um, I think stopping and having a look at an organization, fundamentally understanding the business model of that particular organization is really key. Um, and I'll give an example of one of my fundamental failings uh, working, walking into one organization when I was starting there. And, and I thought I was pretty good at what I did and I'd kind of written up all of these organizational risks and they were very uh, atomic in the sense that they were like malware or data loss, things of that nature, system outages. And I remember sitting down with the CFO of that organization saying, what is it that you, you want cybersecurity to do for you? And I said, here's some of the ones that I've developed. And I remember him turning around, uh, this is when I was living over in the US, and he turned around and said, hey, Scully, that's really interesting. Um, first thing is, 
Um, you're asking me what you want, what I want cyber security to do for, for yeah, from our organization. He said, well, first and foremost, that's why I pay you. You know, that's why I hired you to come mm. in and you need to help me understand what this means. I'm like, okay, yep, that's, and so my eyes have gone like, yeah, kind of dinner plates went, yeah, that's a pretty good point. Um, and do then, you think that's a, quite a pivotal moment in your career where you were like, okay, he's made a good point? Yeah, and and I guess I didn't frame the question well because the way it came out didn't necessarily belie the, the nature of the question. What I was trying to do was to tease out from this particular person um, what did they care about, but it was pivotal in the sense I went, I framed the question incorrectly. And this kind of comes back to my earlier point around was this is part of my journey. And I think honestly, a lot of senior leaders in the cyberspace that need to understand that we need to be part consultant, uh, part therapist. Um, we need to be working with these people because they don't have the background we do, but we need them to understand what could be impactful to them and use our knowledge and expertise to, to really guide them through that conversation and tease out um, what those things could be. So that's really interesting. I mean, a lot of the things that you just covered off then is so many things I want to sort of dive into. Um, but I want to, before we go down a layer deeper, I want to first address designing a security program. So I would like you to really paint a high level picture of sort of what you're seeing in this space, I guess today, but sort of what you've sort of seen historically as, as well and where you believe we're failing as an industry. Yeah. So this obviously this is Scully's view of the world, but certainly my my observations of us as an industry is, yeah, we're still stuck in the mindset of, yeah, compliance is king or queen. We I often see that as the, the guiding light towards um, what we need to aim for to achieve cyber outcomes. So whether that's ISO 27001, NIST 800-53, the ASD Essential 8, you, you can kind of rattle off any of these various uh, different frameworks. And oftentimes when you go in and ask an organization, just at a top level, please explain to me what value your pro program brings to this organization. And instead of saying, well, we've asked the questions of the business, we fundamentally understand what drives it, um, and we're looking to mitigate you know, any impacts to the business plan through this, 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 and this, all these scenarios. Instead, I'm hearing, yeah, we're trying to achieve yeah, compliance against this framework, we're trying to achieve um, getting this certificate, and we're trying to achieve um, you know, uh, mitigating risks, you know, like atomic risks like malware, data loss, outages, those types of things. None of those things especially when you then relate that to pen tests and things like that, which oftentimes uh, completely tell a completely different story to the compliance view of the world. Mm. Uh, you can be compliant, but then you look at the pen test and go, well, how can you be happy with this when your pen tests are walking right through the middle of your infrastructure and achieving what is essentially full domain compromises that could shut your business down? How are you happy with that? But your the view that you're giving uh, by your oftentimes uh, board metrics and, and things that you're aiming towards, compliance, et cetera, are painting a very rosy picture of your, your program. Why is there such a disparity? Um, and that really, for me, is the key, is that we're aiming for the wrong things. Uh, we're measuring the value and effectiveness of our security programs by compliance metrics, which are, you know, I think we'll talk about it, but they are fundamental and they're key, but they're not the high watermark for what we should be aiming for. 
So when you said before that if you, you if you speak to, if you speak to most people that's what they would sort of fall back on, but my question is why are people just defaulting to that? Is it because they don't know any better, or is it because they think this what the value is? Is it an immaturity in thinking, or? Yeah, well, look, I think it's a combination of things. Like I said, it's a journey. And look, the other thing too, we caveat is that everyone's really staring into this problem and approaching it in different ways. Um, the and everyone's out there trying to solve a very complex problem with honestly, you know, some pretty basic tools out there to get things done. So I don't think it's a uh, any of my comments are meant to be kind of uh, disparaging in the way that we're approaching this. It just is the nature of where we are, and then maybe the next step is something that we can take, which is a little bit more closely aligned to business outcomes. But to address your, your your question specifically, it does touch on we've had traditionally IT people and we've had computer-based you know, uh, people diving into this space. We're now going to the risk space and yeah, the risk um, word has been bandied around for, for, for quite a while. But what's interesting I find is that when you ask people about risk and you ask them the risk of what, because I hear people use the phrase, we're cyber risk buy down or you know accept the risk, things of that nature. And you're like, well, okay, the risk of what? And, it, and I think it's that answering that question is where I wanted to push myself and where I think the next uh, level of business alignment is going to come from. Because the risk of what risk is not malware, risk is not data loss, risk is not you know, outages. Those are all just elements of a particular chain of events, which will then impact a business in a certain way. And fundamentally, understanding what that business or organization wants to achieve and aligning your program to mitigating those outcomes, I think is really where, where it needs to go. So just so I have this straight, so if you're speaking to someone and you're, they're sort of saying like, oh, what's the risk, mitigating the risk and all that malarkey, but if you're sort of turning to them and saying like, well, what's the actual risk, are they sort of just really taken aback by that comment and are they like, yeah, that's a really good question and it sort of gets them to potentially think beyond their, their current thoughts around, well, this is not just, a, this is a bigger problem. Yeah, look, and I think a, a simple example, um, any number of vulnerability management programs, uh, at some stage, if you run you know, whatever scanning suite you're using, you'll identify vulnerabilities, they get stack ranked from everything from critical and you know, diabolical and you know, the you know, the Death Star is gonna kind of come and shoot the earth and, and whatnot. It's, it's everything from that level all the way down to trivial uh, when you look at the, the CVSS scores. And when you say to say, when it often comes up, you know, who's gonna accept the risk for these? Okay, so the risk of what? You've got a vulnerability there, but for example, um, you know, if you've got a vulnerability which is sitting on a uh, an endpoint, for example, and if the endpoint is owned by Barry at the front desk on his laptop versus Karen at the top end, who's the CEO, the vulnerability is still present, but the impact of that organisation would be very drastically different if they were to be compromised. So if we then layer that up and say, the compromising of that vulnerability may result in compromise of that particular endpoint, which will allow access to, on one scenario, yeah, door, badge swipes and other bits and pieces, which is impactful, I'm not saying it's not, but then if the other end um, with the CEO, then we'll have access to mergers and acquisitions, sensitive undisclosed financial data if they're a publicly listed company. So the damage to brand and reputation and the ability to undermine the business and potentially uh, even you know, not meet your regulatory requirements or you know not be profitable. There's a whole myriad of security scenarios that can transpire. And that's really where my thinking went is, let's identify those scenarios, 
let's break those down and then address those rather than just saying there's a vulnerability. So there's a difference between identifying a, a vulnerability and then quantifying a risk and an impact. So one of the things I'd really like to understand from your perspective is for people that are listening, perhaps that are like, oh, well, I'm sort of thinking on that compliance mindset, which is fine. How would you sort of change that conversation to, to get people to, to think a little bit beyond, um, like you were saying, like the risk of what? Is there any sort of ways that could perhaps provoke people thinking a little bit more more towards how you've started thinking with your journey? What would be What would be that sort of approach? Yeah, look, there's rolling back to my, um, my my example earlier of when I went and talked to the CFO and kind of had that light globe moment about what's, um, you know, I needed, to, I didn't, I needed to be the facilitator for that conversation. I needed to be the person that was armed with the questions. Um, the way I approached that was actually, there was four elements to it. And the very first one was just a pure emotional response. So these are four elements, but effectively there were four questions that I asked. So the first one was just emotional response. If you were to wake up in the morning, front page of, insert your favorite uh, news news uh, article or news uh, facilitator, um, such and such, insert your name of your organization, has been compromised. Uh, or it might be ransomware to wherever it happens to be. So essentially, you're on the front page, you, you're now, you've got a cyber incident. What is your immediate gut reaction? What are the first things that you go, oh my goodness, the... What is it? What's the what's the next word? What's the thing you care about the most? Just your initial uh, emotional reaction. That's the first one. And then write that down. Um, the next three come from, uh, and these are ones that I actually learned from a mentor of mine uh, when I was in the States, and these are fantastic. These aren't ones that I figured out, but this is a tool that I picked up. Uh, rags, riches, and regulations. So the three R's there. Um, rags being what is the scenario by which your organization would no longer be able to operate? So, for example, um, there's a little known uh, organization or company, uh, Melbourne based at the time, uh, called Distribute IT, Australian company, doing really, really great things in the uh, domain registration and hosting space. You've probably never heard of them because after 21 days after a cybersecurity incident, their company folded. Um, after that incident, they tried repeatedly to rebuild the infrastructure and it was just gone. So when I hear about people talking about cybersecurity incidents, often, oh, it's going to cost us this amount of dollars and that amount of dollars, those types of things. I'd argue that isn't the most impactful scenario to your organization. There are very real scenarios where a cyber incident could actually turn into a full outage or you know, liquidation of your company or loss of life and all those kind of things. So I think we're not really pushing the concept of what, how bad it could be. But rather than what can do the most harm is the first one. Riches. So there's think about what somebody would want to steal from your organisation uh, to make money. Um, anyone that says, "Oh, I'm not small. I'm not big enough. I'm not. Um, you know, there's nothing here that people would want to uh, to steal." I would argue then you probably shouldn't be in business. So we probably wouldn't be in business. There's nothing valuable there, whether that's personally identifiable information, whether it's you know, designs for a, a piece of um, infrastructure or a design or a product that you're designing, then that's probably really important to you as well. There's a myriad of other things, even if it's just at getting access to your infrastructure so you can be used as a as the next hop into another organization, so a supply chain issue. So think about what, what could be stolen to uh, to be uh, sold and how people could make money off, off compromising your organization, ransomware, as an example. 
And I guess the last one, kind of then before I've been of probably the first bit of this conversation has been all about slapping and saying don't be uh, don't be aiming towards compliance as as a top as a high watermark. You need to be thinking about regulations. Everyone has some form of regulations they need to adhere to, and it's key. It's it's something you need to make sure that you you're achieving. So whether that's you know SOC compliance, PCI, whatever it happens to be, there's a myriad of things, and so you need to take those into account what your obligations are there. But in summary, those four elements are what I then translate. I took my experience of I asked the wrong question to then formulating what those key questions would be to help tease those things out. And those are the ones I then use to, to interview repeatedly and then capture that information. And they've, they've served me really well over the years. No, I love that. I think that's a really good, very easy, simple framework to follow for people that are they're trying to move past that compliance mindset. So I really appreciate you sharing that. One of the other things that I'd like to hear your opinion on is, do you think it's a fair assumption to say what we're designing in a lot of these programs that you and I have discussed today are significantly different to what we're sort of executing on the ground? Yeah, look, that's a really interesting question. Um, I've certainly, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but there's, I've certainly seen white space between what is being presented to board of directors or just senior leadership within an organization in terms of the maturity, uh, in terms of the uh, overall risk posture or uh, maturity posture of a given organization with regards to cyber programs. Um, I've certainly seen a difference between that reporting and then looking at some of the metrics around you know, response times and and identification times in socks, um, the success rates of various different elements of pen testing. Yeah, there's definitely been a, a discernible gap uh, that I've observed as a general trend. Um, on one end of the spectrum, they'd like to be very optimistic and everything's pretty good. Um, they seem to under undervalue or underestimate just how much risk they're carrying and they overestimate their capacity to mitigate risk. Um, and that's, I think, is directly translated back then to, yeah, what we're seeing um, out of those uh, more technical and functional elements on the other end. So when you talk about sort of that massive gap and you, and you spoke just before around the undervaluing of how much risk they're carrying, why do you think that is? I think it's absolutely tied back to what we were talking about before around uh, the categorization of risk Right. Um, the quantifying of risk, I honestly think that's wrong. I think we've done, we've we've been for too long aimed towards the compliance elements or very atomic or binary uh, risks without actually then extrapolating those out into something that's actually a scenario. So I personally love to have the risks that I follow uh, and measure maturity and effectiveness against as scenarios. So I'll, I'll use an oldie bit of goodie with, with Equifax as an example. Um, you have a scenario there where you had a vulnerability compromised, lateral movement, access to data, um, then exfiltration of data over a period of time. And so that would be, if we think about that as an end-to-end -end scenario, we can then quantify that to say unauthorized access to sensitive data in a public uh, data breach resulting in damage to brand reputation, direct costs of this dollar amount or more, uh, indirect costs of this, or even like I said at the top end of the scale, you know, absolutely a scenario whereby um, the business could have gone uh, under, it could have liquidated. 
And so if we're actually then presenting that as a scenario to an organization, and if the scenario presented to Equifax was, look, instead of having data loss um, or disclosure, what if we actually had somebody go through, the threat actor went through and actually burnt those databases to the ground? What if they weren't able to transact uh, credit reference scores? What if they weren't actually able to provide the information that they derive revenue out of? What if they were gone? Not just offline, but destroyed. Backups, those types of things. Um, threat actors have enough time, if they're motivated enough, to go through and methodically destroy all of that uh, infrastructure if they wanted to. That's what happened with distributed IT. So I think if we're quantifying this in a scenario base with mm. directly aligns to a business outcome, i.e. we are going to go under or we've got a revenue hit of this or loss of life, whatever, um, I think that then is something we can present in a compelling way to our boards uh, moving forward. It certainly has in the past given more emotional response and more connectivity to the board. And this is something that you and I have spoken about before anyway around that risk-based scenarios. And, and from what you've you've mentioned to me is that a lot of people in the industry are not talking around risk-based scenarios. They're just sort of talking about a risk. And then I guess as a result of people listening, whether it is a CFO or perhaps someone on their board, they, they don't quite understand it because they're not doing these types of role, jobs that everyone else is in security is doing, so it makes more sense to them. So do you think if people are leading more to your point around risk-based scenarios, people, whether it's at the executive level or getting buy-in from someone, whether it's their board, they're more likely to get an outcome and see people sort of change their opinion on security because they're starting to put it in terminology that people get? Yeah, look, I think I, I, I've found success in, in aligning it in that way. It's simpler terms to understand. Um, it's simpler terms, and honestly, if they're derived from the the conversations that we or the the topic or dis, discussion points we talked about before around rags, riches, and regulations, you're really just playing back to them what they've already told you. Um, I will say that I asked those four questions of that CFO, and that CFO, I thought that they were going to say to me something along the lines of, "Oh my goodness, I really care about the." Uh, availability of our ERP system, whether that's you know, SAP or Oracle or whatever you're using, your account, big accounting suite, I really thought he was going to go after that. Turns out didn't didn't mention it at all, at least to start with. Um, cared about a linearity of revenue recognition to the market that supported the uh, what had been presented to the market. Uh, so in this instance, the NASDAQ um, on a quarterly basis, this CFO said, we are looking to achieve this revenue, these profits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously then investments are made on stocks based on that. Now, a cyber incident, especially one that's in breach of regulations and other bits and pieces that's publicly available that really damages brand and reputation and trust in a brand, yep. that impacted his ability to go through and have linearity of revenue recognition and linear growth um, trajectories for, uh, for the market. So that the stock value would then tank or at least take a dip. So I'm like, huh, okay. So if you're trying to avoid that, Okay, so that's a scenario that you care about. Okay, so I tucked that one away, I wrote that one down. Um, I asked the same question of the head engineer, the chief engineer. They cared about source code, they cared about you know, the integrity of the product. The chief marketing officer cared about the website. You, know, you keep going through the business, everyone typically cares about damage to brand and reputation as, as a kind of core, but then every single person I spoke to had their own little twist on it, and it was usually aligned to their area of responsibility. So. When I take all of that and then stack rank it and figure out what's most impactful, et cetera, et cetera, um, and then play that back to the board and say, if you want to mitigate the likelihood of these top five scenarios, risk scenarios uh, from occurring, 
here's the impact, here's the assessment via pen testing or assessment, uh, paper-based assessment, et cetera, et cetera. Your controls are going to be measured in such a way and it's gonna cost you this amount of money. It really becomes an easy conversation. So if the impact's gonna be, I don't know, $200 million in lost revenue, damage to brand reputation, loss of market cap, et cetera, um, and I need to invest $15 million to go through and mitigate $200 million worth of loss, it becomes a very easy conversation. Or at least an easier, it becomes an easier, I should say it's an easier conversation. None of those are ever easy, but yeah. So I guess on speaking on the communication side of it, because that's probably one of the main things people would struggle with when it gets to those levels on, oh, we've got to invest $15 million into the security of our business. But I'm really keen to hear your point of view because ultimately what I'm hearing from you, you, you are a strong communicator. You do have quite a... Uh, a significant background in the field as well in terms of the technical stuff and you are very good at communicating to people yes on the technical side but also people at the board level and the people sort of across the broader business so I'm really keen to hear your thoughts for security people that are listening that are creating these programs um, security program for example but then really struggle to disseminate the communications and the messaging across the business why do you sort of think this is the case? Yeah, look, I think it's a really good question. Um, and obviously tailoring your communication to the audience to achieve a certain outcome, as you're acutely aware, um, you know, being in this space is communicating in the right way of the right language to achieve a certain outcome is really key. Uh, and certainly all of the comms that I create, whether that's presentations, whether that's uh, verbal, whatever it happens to be, always look very much at the audience and what I'm trying to achieve. So what I'm trying to communicate to a board of directors um, is certainly something, um, a message I'm trying to convey, you know, the elements of risk that may be impactful to the business, accurately articulate uh, the risk levels that we're, we are holding in terms of uh, maturity of the security program, the impacts, et cetera, and then the residual pieces, and then put it in language that they can understand and react to uh, appropriately so we can get the right business outcome. So I always try to frame that in that way. Um, the other part of it too, I think communicating to organizations, especially from a senior cyber uh, leadership perspective is really key as well. Um, Rolling back to um, you know, my, my very early days in, in, the, in the military, we had some wonderful uh, leadership training. And I guess most of that was focused around understanding what you're trying to achieve, framing how, up the plan about how we're going to achieve that particular outcome, mission, objective, whatever it happens to be, and then communicating it effectively to the team that was going to drive towards that outcome. And in that instance, that might have just been a group of people uh, that are going through that have you know, got camouflage on and weapons and bits and pieces or fly aircraft or boats or planes and whatnot, um, tanks. So that might be there. But when we flip that to a commercial setting, everyone is involved um, in the cybersecurity uh, posture of an organization. So you know, don't click, you know, security awareness training, those types of things are key. But one of the things I, I think we fail to communicate to uh, the general you know, kind of organization at large is, what are you know, some of the what are some of the issues that we face from a cyber perspective? Um, we've only seen this week, for example, um, in the healthcare industry where we've had ransomware attacks on the rise, and you've had hospitals that are unable to access medical records, uh, and there's a huge impact uh, of of those types of scenarios. And I would wonder 
in those particular instances. Yeah, do we have scenarios where the cybersecurity team has actually spoken to the the general um, employee base and said, "Look, guys, we do have a cyber risk. Here are what some of the impacts could be, and here's some of the things that we might might actually have to deal with if we do have a cyber incident." Um, and I think if people fundamentally understand some of the the impacts to the organisation, usually if people understand the why. They'll be like, okay, yeah, I buy into that. Absolutely, I'll jump on board. I'll double, you know, kind of think and evaluate the the link. I'll not necessarily open the attachment if I'm not sure where it came from. It, it, I think it really gives context to the awareness programs. So I think the why needs to be there. Probably not all of the details because you don't really necessarily need to go into all the nitty gritty details of how many dollars and the threat actors and bits and pieces. But understanding what could happen, I think, is really key. No, that's a very interesting one. I had a CIO come up to me at a conference when we could have in-person conferences, so whenever that was, 2019, and just really asked a question saying that they do a lot of these security awareness videos and it's like, don't do this, don't do that, how dare you do that? But again, it comes back to the, well, what happens if we do that? Like, the why, like, what happens? And I think that if people understood why they couldn't do certain things, perhaps it would make more sense to them. So I really agree with your points that you raised. uh, And I think that, again, it is quite a complex problem. And human beings are not like machines. We can't configure them the way in which we want them to respond, right? So I think that really understanding humans and how they operate from a psychological point of view is something that isn't an easy easy task. And something that we're constantly battling with because you're dealing with a human that has emotions and feelings. And that creates another layer of complexity. But one of the things I'd really love to ask, because a lot of our conversation has been speaking around people talking that compliance is king and defaulting back to compliance, I just really want to ask you, like, do you think we're just way too focused on compliance frameworks as an industry? And I guess the bigger question would be like, what are we actually worried about compliance or like, doing things right? So I, I just really want to get a direct answer from that point of view, because I hear what you're saying. I do hear people talk about compliance, 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 and I get that to a certain extent, but then sometimes I can almost do a disservice to what people are trying to achieve. Yeah, I think that's absolutely okay. And look, don't get me wrong. I start, one of my early jobs in this space was auditing against the uh, information security manual, uh, so auditing, ticking all of the boxes. And I remember when I started down that path of going, and I still feel this way, is there are some amazing guidance and some amazing uh, bits of information and things that we can leverage out of compliance frameworks to help us down that path um, of securing our organizations. So as a tool set, I think it's brilliant. Like in the, I think that these repositories of information that we can then bring to bear, that we don't have to make it up each and every time, you know, it allows us to be repeatable. It gives us a framework that's ready-made. And personally, I've, I've got some favorites. I love the NIST CSF. Um, if I'm breaking things down to technology stacks, I love the moderate attack framework as a way of quantifying things. Um, you know, I've obviously got a background in, in the ISOs and, and other elements of, of, of different frameworks, whether it's COBIT 5, SABSA and whatnot. So there's some really great ones out there. And I guess my only guidance would be pick the one that makes sense for your organization so either go less complex and go simpler, even if you just want to start with the ASD Essential 8 Top 4, which is some brilliant guidance in there, start with that, but use that as a tool uh, or as an input into a larger outcome. 
we are compliant, therefore we can actually, first of all, tick the box to say we are compliant. So if it's PCI, for example, you know, that's a ticket to playing the game. So, you know, you can't get around a lot of these compliance requirements. You need to have it so you can just play in your respective field and deliver, uh, have, have your organization deliver. So it has to be done. But if you're compliant, making sure that it actually then rolls into actually measuring uh, effectiveness in a way that the intent of SOC 2 Type 2 is there to try and measure effectiveness of controls over time, but align that to the organizational risk scenarios that are most impactful to you. So I guess if I want to kind of put a, a wrapper on some of this, it's really my philosophies, philosophies have been around operationalizing uh, compliance frameworks. Take those tools, people, process, technology, all those things, but have them focus, laser focused on achieving uh, an outcome, mitigate this scenario, uh, lessen the impact and the severity and the the, uh, the likelihood of this particular scenario, and they're all aligned to business elements. And I, and I think if we can do that and just have that top level layers of focus on what we're trying to achieve, I think we're going to go a really long way in a short period of time. So what I'm hearing from what you're saying is compliance framework is a really good tool uh, to use as a guiding light, but uh, the, the framework that's relevant to your organization that aligns most with, as you said, risk-based scenarios, but also ensuring that it's not going to be the silver bullet that's going to solve all of your problems as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and like we mentioned before, if there is a, if you walk back and have a look at what's being delivered to your board of directors and it says we're awesome and then you pull out your uh, pen tests and they tell you a different story, like a drastically different story, then I'd suggest you probably need to sit down and evaluate what's most important and then have a bit of a look again at how you're approaching uh, cyber in, in your respective organization. So, yeah. Really appreciate that, Andrew. Well, really appreciate, again, your thoughts, knowledge, your experience. I really do love the way you explain things as well. You're very honest. You're very real. You approach things that it's very easy to take away in terms of the things that you've you've spoken about today, especially the, the, the framework, the, the one-to-four framework you spoke about earlier. I really um, loved hearing that as well as the risk-based scenario. If people perhaps have a question to ask you that I didn't ask you today how can they go about getting in contact with you oh chris i think probably this is the easiest one to find just find me on linkedin just look for andrew scully on linkedin you'll find me there um, it's got all my contact details there email phone that type of thing so feel free to drop me a line send me a message i'm more than happy to chat awesome well really appreciate your time thanks kb thanks for tuning in we hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.